Hello and welcome to Pitch Bleak, the true creative crime podcast. I'm Hayden Bevis and joining me, as always, is Chris Kennett. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much, Hayden. This is going to be a pretty special episode of Pitch Bleak, I think, because today we are going to be investigating the demise of Brian Munich and friends who were an absurdist and blackly surreal comedy outfit helmed by the comedians Jason Marion and Ray Matson. Now, these guys already had a cult favourite community TV series under their belts when their stage show took the Melbourne International Comedy Festival by storm in the year 2001. And at that point, Brian Munich looked set to take over the world. But sadly, it wasn't to be. So, what happened? Was Brian Munich and friends cut down by a higher power or was the call coming from somewhere inside the house? On this episode of Pitch Bleak, we'll interview the co-creator of the show, Jason Marion, in order to try and answer one simple question. Who killed Brian Munich? But first, Chris, are you ready for Has It Got Legs? Is anyone ever really ready? Do you want another pitch? Is there something else that happens in Has It Got Legs? <laughs> I've come in harsh today. You have walked into the pitch room and you can tell straight off, oh, boy, this is an uphill battle. What do you got, kid? I'm a busy man. <laughs> I've called this one. Calling? <laughs> um, I've called this one. Oh, I can't even Calling who? <laughs> This one is called Tooth Becomes You. Now, Chris, are you aware of dentists? What are you, what are you saying? saying? All right. Are you, have you got a perfect set of mouth? What's happened? Have you had teeth pulled? Have you had wisdom teeth pulled or? I, no, I have not had teeth pulled. I had a wisdom tooth removed and at the end I was like, oh, do I get the tooth? And they were like, what? No. No, so, no. So I, didn't, I didn't get my tooth back. Is there a me. legal issue there? I don't know. It's, is it my tooth? It's my well, tooth. Not right? once it comes out, it's anybody's. <laughs> so if I can get a tooth out of your mouth now, <laughs> it's mine. And obviously in the, if I'm in the process of trying to get it out, there's a legal problem because that's, you know, serious assault, right? But once it's out, I'm scot-free. It's mine. Yes. Uh, so when I went home and I explained to my wife, I was like, oh, they didn't let me keep my tooth. She's like, what were you going to do with it? Like what? Mm. Yeah. And she, I'm like, oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, I, don't, I just felt like it was mine yeah. and I should have had it. And then I was thinking, oh, if I had have brought it home and just left it around, like that would have extremely pissed off my wife. It's like, why is this tooth here in the kitchen or yeah. something like that? Yeah. Like, oh. In the butter. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I thought it was the best place for it. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, actually, what would be a funny, oh, an idea? If my wife had have been like, oh, can you get rid of the tooth? In my head, I wouldn't have thrown it in the bin. Like, I would have thought it needed a, a something. And then I was like, I would have buried it. <laughs> so the idea is man comes home with tooth from dentist, is told this is a stupid idea, you shouldn't bring it out, throw it out for whatever reason, decides to bury it in the backyard. Okay. And the next morning, a fully grown version of himself (laughs) (laughs) has now appeared at the back door, which was the tooth, now buried. And now there is two of them. (laughs) Before we proceed any further. Yes. Can I just check? No. Because we've run into this problem before. (laughs) Uh, Yes. 
you haven't put the number two <laughs> into tooth because there's now two of the person. I had not thought of that. So it's in the same vein as multiplicity or yeah, another yeah. one of those type of things, yeah. which is fine. Just a different spin. I like the line, it's in the vein of multiplicity. <laughs> so, so let me guess, it's about more than one guy. Well, yeah, okay, there's a lot of things going on in multiplicity. That's not the only thing, but that's the main. It's, yes, this is what I'm doing. Yes, it's about a bunch of guys. <laughs> now I know I can make more guys out of teeth. You know, somebody else is losing a tooth. <laughs> you know it's going to end up, that'll be the twist at the end, like somebody gets all their teeth punched out or something and then yeah, there's, okay. you know, 20 guys. This isn't where you want it to go, is it? No, well, I instantly went to being like, if I had another one of me, how can we afford to buy a house? And, like, what happens to our insurance premiums? <laughs> <laughs> is this so much a, as a pitch as it is just something like you're wondering about? What if that happened? But yeah, it, it's a pitch. Rather than a story. It's no, just it's kind a of a thought experiment. But the story would be more about the practical <laughs> element of having another version of you. Yeah. If you knocked on your own back door. Yeah. Does he sprout? What happens? Well, I don't know. You don't we see we that don't bit? see that. You oh, just right. see the man naked at the back door. And then I imagine if there is a partner, they would be like, we can't have this. That person's got to move out. Yeah. And then they would have to find a house and you'd have to help him find a house. Yeah. How do you practically get a lease or buy a house for this other version of you? They're going to have to get a job, all that stuff, right? Wow. That, that is what I want. Okay. Look, it's high concept. Yeah. But then quickly dives into mundane <laughs> – Stuff about who's paying the mortgage. <laughs> so, you know, exciting opening. There's got to be a twist payoff at the end that really comes back to the, yeah. the, the teeth or making more guys or how do we get rid of the guy? I've got to go back to uh, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. dentist and have this. There's got to be some sort of quest element here. Okay. And maybe it is like let's rob the dentist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but both of them. They have to work together. Together. And, in fact, that's a better title for it, Let's Rob the Dentist. (laughs) (laughs) Is the main character's name Rob. (laughs) You could just pitch. You could just pitch like it's called Let's Rob the Dentist, right? The main character's... Name is Rob and it's about two guys that, that team up to, to rob the dentist. You could just tell this whole thing and then 10 minutes into this you go, oh, did I mention the other guy is, was grown from the tooth came out of the first. Oh, no, I, yeah, I didn't mention that. Well, it's okay because it's like it's, that's, that's backstory. I'm, I'm mainly focused on the robbery part now. Whoa, hold up. I feel like that's. Kind of important. No, 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 it's not really. I mean, yes, he's an exact clone and they share memories and stuff. But that just makes them better at the robbery. Doesn't matter. Yeah, Do blah, they rob blah, the blah, dentist? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> Dentists have got a lot of cash on the premises. <laughs> they got drugs. All right. So it's, a, a- it's a heist. It's a heist move. <laughs> and they're both named Rob because they're the same guy. Those oral B commercials, you know, where they'd say, you know, uh, this man is a dentist. His name was Rob. If we named the dentist Rob, it's just that's too much. (laughs) That's the point at where I've lost believability. (laughs) Now I'm out. Suspension of disbelief gone. 
All right, I'm in on the on the sprouting man from the tooth. <laughs> you got me. Yeah, it happens, no, ha- happens off screen. <laughs> oh. seems, seems important. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So it's got legs. <laughs> yeah? It's, it's got legs and teeth. <laughs> Ryan, Munich and friends, here we come again to infect your heads. Brian Munich and friends, look at your screen, it's showing Brian Munich. It's Brian Munich, there's Ted and Harvey, and there's Brian again. Brian Munich and friends, here we come again, and 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 here we come again. Hey Jude. It's time to welcome our next guest to the studio. Jason Marion is a comedian. Writer, director, can we tick all those? Did you say it's time to welcome our next guest, Jason Marion? He's a director, writer. Is that my name? <laughs> yes. It's a long name. A comedy all-rounder who has been practising the dark art of mirth-making since the late 90s Ooh. where he cut his teeth on Melbourne's live comedy scene. This is where he met fellow comedian Ray Matson. Is that correct? Correct. <laughs> correct. Together they went on to create the Barry Award-winning Brian Munich and Friends, the subject of today's podcast. Since then, Jason has written and produced for TV shows on all of Australia's major networks with titles including Rove Live, mm-hmm. Spicks and Specs, yep. Hamish and Andy, yep. the web series Warren and Hal, yep. a personal favourite of mine, and When TV Was Awesome. Oh, yeah. He's a comedian's comedian and influenced to many, a true man of his craft. Please welcome to the studio's... Jason Marion. Welcome, Jason. Thank you very, very much. You're not a high-profile internet guy. No. If, no. if I go and no. put Jason Marion into the Jougal. <laughs> no, no, that's right. In fact, if it wasn't for, I think it's Tony Martin who updates IMDb, yeah. if it wasn't for him, people would never have a single clue. Do so people generally it's... know that he does that? I don't that? know. I don't know. Did but you I know that? I didn't. I'm aware that he's a, a fiend when it comes to trivia and, and whatnot. Well, I've always heard that. And so I, I looked, only looked at it a few weeks ago. I said, and I wonder what my MDB says now for, for a long time. It credited me as, oh, what was the first job I had? Full Frontal and um, a short film that I didn't make. And, uh, <laughs> when you get credited with something you didn't do, do you then go and check it out and if it's good, you go, oh, I'll, <laughs> I'll just leave that. Well, I, I don't know about this short film. It could be disastrous. It could, it could be the, the story of the Jackson Jive, Blackface, <laughs> and I wouldn't know. So I've just left it there hoping that it's not disastrous. And if it came to be that, oh, I heard you made this short film about racism, <laughs> that you love racism and you love homophobia, is this true? Like, Fuck, all right, I'm going to get on the Tony Martin. <laughs> Get him to <laughs> take that off. So no, if I saw something, I don't know what that is. You met Ray on the live comedy scene. Well, yeah. Now, is that true? Uh, you've blown it. No, no, no. no that's absolutely true. Not around ninety-five. I think we saw each other stuff at the SB. I was in a group called Galloping Cow, sketch group, and we we're doing all right. At least headlining at times at the SB and various venues around around St Kilda and South Melbourne or wherever at Armadale. And Ray was doing stand-up and it was awesome and uh, Ray and I built up a friendship and we ended up doing a comedy festival show, our first one in 1995, I think, or How to Live Your Life, which was ambitiously two hours in an outer suburban hotel with uh, chefs cooking away in a very audible open kitchen. High tech, stupid, 
Stupid. Like, <laughs> so t- uh, two-hour show. Two-hour show. Every second essential. <laughs> <laughs> we were not very good at editing ourselves. And uh, and there was five of us in Galloping Cows, like Jared McCulloch, oh. who's been a regular, at least behind the scenes, writing, uh, you know, yep. weekly and whatever, and uh, arriving. Uh, who else? Uh, Phil Cantoni, who kind of left the scene. He's a teacher now, but he was, yeah. And um, and Stig Weems, who was like voice of the G and uh, more importantly, voice of a dog. Bob Morrison. Bob Morrison. Was it? Yes. yes. Bob Morrison. Back in the day. Oh man, that's, that's fantastic. It. He was from WA. Ray was from WA. They worked together. They were the Deadly Brothers. Who used to beat each other up. The premise is they just would beat each other up. Is that? Uh, the, <laughs> I can't remember. Is that just boxing? Is that like <laughs> yeah, it was a boxing man. Yeah, that's right. They were wrestlers. Sorry. <laughs> what was the origin of Brian Munich and Friends? I'll tell you the origin of the name. So, yeah, I was in the background uh, and then a soccer match came on. It was Manchester United and they were playing a side called Bayern Munich. <laughs> And I don't know if I was drunk or whatever, but I heard Brian Munich. Like, They're playing Brian Munich? And then I came close to the TV and I said, oh, Brian Munich, okay. But I'm going, Brian Munich, though, that's a cool name. <laughs> and I couldn't get Brian Munich out of my head. So I've gone, Brian Munich, that's a, that's a name. That's a, the that's a host of a show. But that wasn't like the, or, like the origin or that was the origin of the name. Before that, Ray and I were doing shows um, we did a show, a show that we love, probably our favourite, even as much or if not more than Brian. It was called Boob and the Pig Man Go to Mexico, which we did in a Nicholson Hotel in Carl, which has been bulldozed since and now there's apartments. But, um, yeah, it was about these two. It was a road trip uh, comedy festival show uh, about two guys uh, escaping the murder of uh, Larry Amger. Uh, <laughs> and Boob, played by Ray, and I was Pig Man. The guy who wore a pig mask as a hat and an overcoat and a big furry moustache. And then we did a, we did another show, maybe even before that, was called Talking Fluff, where Ray was a host and I played all these characters. But we decided in 99 or 2000, let's make me the host and you're my sidekick. And mm. and then I saw the soccer. And um, so we did, did Brian Munich and Friends and did it on Channel 31 um, as, a, as a six, seven-part episode, six, seven-part episode on Comic Box, played late at night. That happened pretty quickly. After deciding, okay, it's going to be Brian Munich and friends. So, how did that suddenly become a Channel Thirty One show? We did some stuff for Lou Stom, a big part of um, Aussie comedy, certainly Melbourne comedy. Anyway, it was recording rooms, Armadale SP, yep. and so every comedian had their stuff on tape. Mm. So Lou was great at providing that. He was running like yeah, the comic box on channel 31 and eventually champagne comedy as well so yeah he's he's just gone ah he was always looking for content so he just got us to um yeah he said if you want to do your stuff we'll do it on the comic box so ray and i started recording sketches and putting it together and recorded in his lounge room brian munich and friends and we started yeah just writing sketches pretty quickly in 2000 when we we recorded our introduction to the show earlier and I described Brian Munich and Friends pretentiously as an absurdist and blackly surreal comedy outfit. Right. Now, what's your reaction to that? What's a better way of describing the style that you were doing in that show and on stage as Brian Munich and Friends for people that don't know it today? 
Yeah, like people do, you know, and they say that it's still about my comedy now, that it's black and dark and whatever, and I, yeah, that's true, I understand that. But at the same time, I just saw it as funny. Like I never see dark. People say, oh, even now when I'm writing for TV shows, they're going, oh, I know your one, yours, the one where the guy died or the fucking guy <laughs> shat himself to death. <laughs> you know, all right, it was, but <laughs> it's shit himself to death, guy. <laughs> but I just, yeah, and Ray probably too. But we just saw it as as funny. But anyway, uh, Brian Munich, yes, it is. It, it is that. It, it was. I don't know. It, it, Munich was kind of a a parody of a parody in the wrong key. It wasn't just parody because we, we it kept coming up. It wasn't just madness for the sake of madness. We were parodying and satirizing and whatever but it was almost like a parody of we've seen a comedy <laughs> show and go no that's not good enough and we parody that but also in the wrong case it's like you know someone described us once actually it was our channel 31 show was reviewed weirdly <laughs> and someone described it as it's like um uh, trout mask replica but comedy and trout mask replica was captain beefheart and his insane double album uh, of you've avant-garde shit. You had like yeah. R&B and jazz and fucking all sorts of shit. Did you have any direct inspiration? For, for, there's the really fucked up bit of Brian yeah. Munich. Well, the, well, the violent, right. dark, macabre, yeah, scary yeah, part. So yeah. I'm sort of wondering where that's from. That comes from, for me anyway, it comes from Enid Blyton and uh, Stephen King. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> The far away Both one and the same. <laughs> well, when I was little, like my childhood, my parents struggled. Like they shouldn't have been together and um, they fought a lot. And so, you know, they fought, they one of them, you know, drank, they threw food at each other. One didn't throw food back. You know, I think they just, you know, there was just, you know, affairs and sh- there was just stuff for me to want to disappear to my bed. You know, I had a lovely childhood. Half of it was okay and I played sport up to until I was 18. It was all about playing for Australia. Mm. in cricket or playing football for St Kilda. That's all up until 18 or whatever I wanted to do. Didn't even consider comedy, you know, the creative world or the entertainment world. But, yeah, I didn't recognise those little things like writing stories when I was little, escaping to my bedroom and I you know, probably read Stephen King even before Enid Blight and I read it very, very young. I liked horror. And whether it was, oh, this is way worse horror than what I'm experiencing, so this is cool. So I don't know, but maybe that had something to do with it. There were horrors to me in the wishing chair and the faraway tree too, <laughs> like getting trapped in another land because you go to the that, top of the faraway tree and you're mm. in a land and, oh, shit, the land is moving on. Who knows when you'll be back to your life. That horrified me. That but I really scared it. me as a kid right. as well, the right. idea of getting stuck up yeah. there. Yeah, and the wishing chair the same. You go to another, the wizard's gone, that's it. You, your chair doesn't have wings anymore. Uh, can't, what, we can't fly back to the playroom? <laughs> like, yeah, you're done. You're in our land now. You're in the land of Dame Slap. Yeah. It's just like that... There was some horror and, and, you know, there was a lot of horror. I, I was very upset. I love horror. I love horror. So Brian Munich in a way, I don't know if there would have been. We did three Brian Munich shows. I don't think there would have been a fourth because it gradually became more and more horror mm-hmm. over comedy or, or close to that. There was a lot of horror. There was a lot of me dressed as Ray Martin. There was still parody or whatever. It was me dressed as Ray Martin but with vampire teeth mm-hmm. and literally eating dog food. <laughs> Out of a, out of a, out of a dog bowl that said Ray, and I was, you know, that's when I stopped being a vegetarian. I was eating dog food, and then I go, oh, I should be eating nut meat, and so I ate some sanitary nut meat. Going, I'm going back to the dog. Food. <laughs> <laughs> and so stopped being a vegetarian as well as so I've been up. 
So was the TV show first or was the... Yeah, the, the, yeah, us doing sketches in the TV show came first. It was like 2000 when that went out. And, oh, yeah. and, they, and, and Lou, always looking for content, I think he repeated it like three times. So <laughs> I'd be going to Kmart and, you know, buying a fucking whatever, like a, a old lamp or whatever, and, and they'd be going, oh, Brian Munich, okay? eh? Or I'd go to a cafe and sitting across the road from my ex, now ex-wife and the waiter going, you know you you're having lunch with here? <laughs> fucking Brian Munich. And going, this is Channel 31. Yeah. So I've had more recognition, that I think because he just kept replaying it and people back then, this is obviously before streaming and whatever, mm-hmm. were watching Channel 31 more late at night. So when did it become... The stage show. So we uh, we did a fringe show first, mm. and I think, and that was okay. It was like small audiences, and um, yeah, we had actually had three people there. One of them from Token or whatever. You know, like shocking night as far as numbers, but they were just pissing themselves. And that's what we found a lot with Rome Munich. We'd have small audiences certainly early on, but they're all having mm. a, an absolute ball, and they weren't self-conscious or going, oh, my God, fucking this three of us, this is a joke, should we leave? No, they just sat there and got drunk and, and loved it. But the Fringe did help us kind of hone a few things, and, uh, yeah, and that led to the Comedy Festival in 2001, uh, which we did at the Trades Hall, and that started slow as well. There's one audience of six people where one person vomited and <laughs> had to be taken out by two of their friends, leaving three people. <laughs> And I don't know if they wanted because of us or because they were sick, but they did come back. <laughs> all of she them? She wanted to. All of them came back. Yeah. The girl, I think it was sick, she goes, I wanted to come back. Like she said that aloud, like the greatest heckles. It's like, you know, in the middle of me doing something to the three people who were there, like in the middle of a monologue, she's going, I wanted to come back. <laughs> So it was six again. I'm going, yes. Go back to 100%. Now that's of- a pull quote for you, Nixon. <laughs> I wanted to come back. Girl who had just vomited. Girl who had just vomited, yeah. When do you realise that it started to do well, like during that comedy festival run? Uh, probably only, like we, we love the show, however many people saw it, whatever. But, yeah, you get a review and it was Fiona Scott Norman who was doing reviewing the age back then when reviews were actually, I don't know, they seemed to mean something. You know, Fiona Scott Norman is going to review our show. I hope she likes it. You did really care about that back then. Now, well, you didn't have online buzz. No, you didn't. Have, yeah, then. so with two thousand and one, no, you didn't. God, we didn't even have. This that. was pre nine eleven. This is that's right. It was pre nine eleven. We we didn't have YouTube, and so that was another thing Ray and I talk about now. Going, imagine if YouTube was around, we were just uploading this stuff. Would yeah. our lives have been different? Would it have taken off? I don't know. But um, yeah, so we were hanging out, and we were still up. We were partying, and we were drinking whatever after a show, and we were up so late that the papers were, <laughs> you know, arriving on the doorstep. Yeah. We're probably at the shitty hi-fi bar, and coming out, and the papers arrived, and we're pulling them out and just going, "Fuck!" It was it was a yeah, five star review. It was a huge. It was a big review. Loving it, yeah. absolutely love it. And bang, then people came. The, the audience just started to grow purely from the the press there. So eternally grateful that she liked that and um, wrote a good review. And then yeah, audience started to come. As far as making money from a festival, you never do. But so we were, you know, yeah, they came late. But that led to us getting nominated, more people seeing it, and to the point of us actually blowing our minds by winning the what was then called the Barry Award, which is the best show on the festival and the Age Critics Award. I think it was um, Bob Franklin who was announcing the award mm. and so he's going through the nominations and I think possibly the final one was us and Brian Munich who uh, 
you'll never hear of again, but the token Australian act, (laughs) whatever. It was very funny and got a good laugh and uh, did seem like that. And then he goes, anyway, the winner is. And you didn't know. He's opening, you know, he goes, ah. (laughs) The winner is Brian Munich and Friends. (laughs) (laughs) And he's great and he loves our our staff too. So he was just making a joke and going, probably thought these guys should win it, but they won't. And uh, and we did. Was this a shock to you? I don't know. Did you think you had a chance? No, I still thought I always think I have a yeah. chance. I'm always mad enough mm. to think I have a, had a chance and I thought we did have a chance then. And so when it was announced, it was, yeah, it was surreal. It was weird. But we just went down to, yeah, fucking right, we should have. <laughs> <laughs> Part of me was going, yes, we deserve, absolutely, I thought we deserved this. Yeah. But it was just, it was terrific that the festival Whoever was involved recognised that. So you've won the Barry. Yeah. What are your expectations from there? Did you think, oh, the world's our oyster now? I don't think I was mad enough to think the world was our oyster because I think when you're telling someone, we won the Barry Award, they go, what's the Barry? And they go, well, yeah, well, have you, good on you. I won the Trevor Award. Like, what's, the, <laughs> what's the Barry system name? Like, yeah. what is that? So in a way now it's called you know whatever it is the it's it's just the most outstanding, yeah, outstanding show yeah it's a very long yeah. name but it's very clear what it is it's like <laughs> dude where's my car like movies became like very clear what they were about the festival orders were you were you happy about. when that happened when when dude where's my car came out you go finally, finally like, I know that, what this is about all, he's obviously it's doing what it car. says on the tin good that's all I need thank you. <laughs> So, yeah, the Barry Award, which was a poster, <laughs> it was at least behind glass, framed behind glass. That okay. was the award. And I remember the people at the time, the director of the festival, whatever, said, yeah, we're going to get the you know, little plaque on it as well. Don't worry, give it back to us. Going, okay, didn't have time to put it on. That's a shame. <laughs> uh, but that's all right. I'm holding up a poster. They're all around the place. Uh, <laughs> Everyone gets an all. Uh, and then I take it out drunk to the car and drop it in the gutter and it smashes and so that was where our trophy ended up. It was a poster that I drunkenly dropped and shattered it. So it was, yeah, I was left with a poster which I could have pulled off the wall. Uh, they never gave us a plaque for that. At the point where you're dropping this thing <laughs> drunkenly in the gutter and it's shattering, yeah. Yeah. did you have any sort of premonition about, well, that'll be a metaphor? <laughs> Yeah, it could have been. Like, yeah, seven years of bad luck kind of breaking a mirror. Kind of thing. It was like, yeah, that's 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 it. This is it. We've reached our pinnacle, which we had. You probably had some expectations that, well, this is a good thing. Mm. This mm. is a this is a springboard Absolutely. to go on to to bigger and better things and to do more. Absolutely. What did you want to do next? What what were you imagining? I think TV was the yep. next thing. Like I loved theatre I, I, and still do in a way. More like, but I've been a big TV head since I was little watching TV and my first laugh was watching Sesame Street when I was little. It was a, a beach ball talking to Guy Smiley, I think. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Guy Smiley going, you know, what's it like being a beach ball? And the beach ball going, well, I get my kicks, you know. <laughs> and uh, I'm pissing myself going, I want this. <laughs> this is great. So, yeah, and, and we had people come to see the show after the review and, and producers and yeah I remember you know, one thing embedded in my brain was a producer go don't let anyone else produce you just loving it do not let anyone else yeah. produce you like and I was thinking oh this is great this tv person like just loves it but I don't know what happened well I do but I still don't know I remember clearly having meetings at the ABC mm-hmm. it was just me and Ray and I don't know it was bleak 
It was bleak. The people we spoke to at the ABC hadn't seen the show. So back then there was like head of comedy was probably Jeff Portman and there was Andrew Friedman and who was maybe head of entertainment or something. And so they'd heard a bit about us but hadn't seen us. So we walked into Portman's uh, room for a meeting and it was he was just looking out a window <laughs> and it was very sparse and there was just a fish tank in there. It was like he was like a Bond villain, like stroking a cat, except the cat had died. He was just stroking his crotch. <laughs> uh, stroking his crotch, looking out the window, the fish tank. And, yeah, he just spun his chair around going, okay, so what have you got? I'm going, oh, well, here's the show. So we were kind of starting from it was very cold. It was a cold call. It was basically right. we could have organised ourselves. So it didn't really. Who set the meeting up? I can't remember. All Maybe right. the person who said, don't let anyone else do <laughs> yeah, okay. no, I'm going to send you to a guy who's never seen it and is, a, is obsessed with the past. <laughs> and, um, and look, he'd, he'd made Mother and Son. He'd mm-hmm. like produced yeah. and directed Mother and Son, which is, is a great yep. show. Mm-hmm. And but unfortunately, he was he hadn't probably done much since then, and uh, was obsessed with it. So he's talked about that a lot, mother and son. I'm going okay, okay. And and they were they were definitely after a hook. Anyone we spoke to after that, they were after a hook. They wanted a hook because it's not enough. Mm-hmm. I'm going, aren't we the hook? Like, oh, yeah. sense of humor, and it's a TV show, frames a TV show, but what happens in there is kind of insane and goes in places that you don't expect. And they're going, well, I need a hook, like you know, Brian Munich in space, or uh, but it's just like. <laughs> Whatever, they were after a hook that we couldn't find. We're going, where the hook? Like, we, we didn't get a head around the hook. We understand more the hook now, but even so, then they, they should have worked with us more, I think. I think if we'd had more of a collaboration, people on board with us, we mm. may have been able to sell it. But we've got a guy who's obsessed with mother and son. And um, <laughs> I was going, maybe uh, Brian Munich and friends, maybe Brian Munich and son. <laughs> uh, and instead of Ray, you've got Ruth Cracknell. <laughs> and instead of you, we've got, uh, you know. <laughs> What's his name? Fucking Gary McDonald. Gary McDonald, who's a legend. So yeah, Gary, uh, and called mother and son and said, "Okay, this is insane. Good luck to you, fish in your crotch, and we're out of here." So how how did you feel leaving that meeting? It's not like he said no, even though he's a Bond villain. I always thought this is Doctor No. This is literally he's a Bond villain and he's Doctor No because he's saying no to us. But he didn't actually say no. He's just like. It just was left. Yeah, okay. And they eventually, yeah, we had talks and back and forth and whatever and then eventually they went with, uh, you know, yeah, hey, we filled the spot, we've gone with Eagle and Evans. And Eagle and Evans were on a oh, whiteboard boy. and they'd yep. been like doing a million pilots and whatever. I don't think I ever realised that you had lost out in a sense to Eagle and yeah. Evans. Yeah. I remember oh, yeah. that. I remember them coming in and disappearing yeah. just as quickly. No, that's right. They had one episode series that didn't work. Yeah. And it's not that, they, they, you know, they yeah. were bad. That show maybe didn't work, but they had some great ideas and some funny stuff. But, um, yeah, they've just gone, okay, ABC have called us in. Like, rather than go with us, they've just gone, go back to the whiteboard. What does that say? <laughs> Eagle and Evans, half of it was rubbed off. Eagle and Evans, yeah, give them a call instead. Like, that's a real insult. And, um <laughs> You come out of that and then were you like, I've got to reshape the show and make the hook 
harder or were you a bit like, fuck you, like it still is what it is? I don't know if I was fuck you, but I'm just a bit confused by it all. I yeah. just thought there'd be more support or more interest. And very quickly interest wanes. Like someone can see a show and be excited and the crowd's going wild. Don't let anyone else produce you and then meetings. It doesn't take long if there's a few negative meetings or if you, if you don't have a – I don't think we had a completely strong idea beyond that. We didn't have a B plan or C plan, so that's kind yeah. of our fault or couldn't articulate, you know, when they started wanting to change to look for hooks. Did you have somebody on your side? Did you have somebody working for you? No. No, we it did feel on, on our own. And that's that's the difference. And these days when I am working with people directing shows, I believe in collaboration. I believe in getting people around you who have strength in certain positions, who can talk the talk for you. We didn't have any management. We didn't have mm. anything. We were pretty naive. We just had two guys who loved to fuck about and, and we ended up fortunately or luckily, whatever coming up with a, a funny show. So where did it go from there? You weren't writing it off straight away. No, we did write it off straight away, and we and we love, you know, live theatre still. So we're just going, yeah, we'll do another show. And uh, after winning the Barry, yep, um, you know, God, this is a great, you know, you win the Barry, you get a town hall room, and we will at least start maybe making some money, or at least getting audiences in. They won the Barry. Let's so you let's can see these guys consolidate in in two thousand two. That's right. Then right. more producers will come and see you, and then things start to develop TV wise. For anyone who doesn't really know the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and mm. the locations uh, that things are like, how important is the town hall? It, it's the hub, obviously. So a lot more shows will be sold out there. A lot of people go to that. I don't know if they've had the blackboard last year, but there's a big blackboard, and everyone goes right. Who do we see? Who's on right now? And it's right there. So it is the hub. And, that, and right then it seemed important to us that we that we get a room there. We just wanted to. We always wanted a room in the town hall. We're in the hub, whatever. And this was our best chance because we got a you know a, the Barry Award. Uh, so came the next year, the comedy festival show. We're doing sketches throughout the year and then we got a new show ready to go. And, uh, yeah, we applied for a town hall room expecting to get it because we won the Barry. And... Uh, no, it comes. The information comes back. Um, that yeah, we didn't get the town hall room. We performed the the, win, the Barry Award winning show was at the Trades Hall, and the room that they gave us wasn't even the Trades Hall. It was a little bit further away or somewhere down Victoria Street. Like, I don't even know what this place is. Why are we there? Is it a new place they're going to really advertise well and turn into something huge? Well, it seems weird though because they don't like that Trades Hall area. There was one year where Trades Hall was actually left off the map yeah um i'm going what is this place and yeah we had a look at it It was kind of for memory kind of dilapidated it was just it was gonna i feel like it was going to be bulldozed not built it was just with you in it possibly yeah (laughs) Yeah, i think that was the plan i go what has happened here we went to the comedy festival and spoke to the powers that be and a particular person who could answer the question said why didn't we get a town hall room and that person has gone, oh, we thought uh, we thought you liked it out there. Oh. What? Well, we liked it out there. What do you mean? Like in a building ready to be ex- exploded, <laughs> turned into dust. Uh, no, no. Why? What? What's going on? And then that person opened up a drawer by their right hand and pulled out an article from the paper and showed it to us. The desk was big enough for me not to be able to read it from there, so it's quite dramatic, but I'm going, I, I don't you know. There's something about Harvey Norman. Any 10% discount on 
outdoor furniture, but I, I, what else? And so she pointed to the, you know, held it a bit closer and going, okay, still can't read that. And she said, let me read it. And Ray had spoken to a journalist and it was purely the journalist had called Ray and they wanted to write an article about the comedy festival and how smaller independent acts kind of suffer at the hands of larger acts, the international acts, get favoured over. It's just Mm. tough to make money in the comedy festival, especially as an independent act. And, of course, that's going to be true if you're an established international act versus independent acts. And Ray, who's he doesn't go out of his way to cause a stir, doesn't want to rock the boat, he answered the call and said, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, yeah. No, it is tough. It's it's tough to make money, um, especially, yeah. He's basically reiterated what the journalist wanted him to say, but in a nice way. He's not the one to be banging down a door saying everything's fucked. He's just keeping the peace always but he said yeah it is but to be honest that it is a bit hard but it's almost not what we do it for we don't go into the festival to make a profit uh, we know it's going to be tough but anyway the journos turned that into something and Ray Matson said it's impossible to make any money and the international acts get all the favours again not anything that is yeah some unexpected or mm. or untrue in a way, you know. And the person in question took it to heart that we spoke against the comedy festival. And so that's why they were showing us the article to say this is why you haven't got a room at the town hall because you went against us. And I was appalled as you should be, appalled by that going. That is insane. That's that's incredible. And so we're not getting rid of the town hall because Ray said it's hard as an independent act to make money when the big acts are coming in because they're on the gala or whatever. So people at home, they're watching the gala. Yeah, they're yeah. going, who do we see? Let's see that guy. Um, that's just, you know, it is how it is, uh, good or bad. So I thought that was rough to say the least. And so we just gone, oh, fuck, okay. You know, we really wanted to have a mature conversation, which I think should have been had before the decision was made. If this person had a problem with what was said, then come to us or talk to us and say, not happy with this article. And then Ray would have probably said, oh, like, you know, I've this maybe kind of entrapment or whatever. I just said yes, it is tough, but I didn't mean anything by that or by mm. the festival. I love what the festival has, has done for us. So Brian Munich and friends... Continued. You found another venue, did yep. a show in 2002, you did another one in 2003. Yep. yep. At what point did you just stop working or giving the energy you needed to Brian? So Ray and I still did some live gigs. I mean, what was it? What's that venue? It may still be there on Chapel Street, Revolver. Oh, you Horrible. Revs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Shock, <laughs> like, shocking, but I don't know. There's some little soft spot for it. But they had a room at the front, which they would occasionally do comedy. Mm. So our last thing we did as Brian Munich and friends, or Ray and I, um, was a gig at Revolver in the front room. Maybe this did signal the, <laughs> the end. But um, it was us dressed as Ringo's, but on the screen, a big screen above us, we recorded ourselves as Ringo's reviewing what we were doing below. It was like a stretch. And the person doing the tech had a big... You know, big arts. It was it was just timing. It was a bit tech heavy stuff, 
And he was a great guy, but he'd you know he he he'd recently struggled. I think he'd had an accident on the Great Ocean Road. Yeah. His truck. It, I don't know why I'm bringing this guy up because he did a. He, he did, <laughs> I, 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 I'm putting you no, down on the put on the list. Uh, no, he's not he's on, on the, the crazy list. list. <laughs> and I don't even know why I bring up he had an accident because it wasn't you know if I was in charge of tech that night, everyone would have said, "Have you had an accident?" Because you, no. <laughs> He did a, actually a good job. It was really, really tough, and that was not even the point. Like that probably added the humor that was out of sync or whatever. <laughs> so we did that, and then we walked away from them going. I don't know if we decided then, there and then that this was it, but we went, yeah, that felt like that was mm. yeah. Let's just. And from then on, I think at the time we were both working at Comedy Inc. as writers and then we became producers at Channel 7 and then it was just like, yeah, it was about other people, us creating. Like I think then we it was then it was we found Hamish and Andy on Channel 31. It was our job to find new talent, found Hamish and Andy, worked for Rover a little later and found Carrie Bickmore. Like we, we came up with a news segment and it was my job to go to Channel 10 at the time, the tower there, and just audition people and Carrie Bickmore was one of them. And we had this new segment and I'm looking at these actors, comedic actors and Carrie Bickmore who was already on radio doing the news and going, no, let's, let's go with her. Like she's just doing the news straight. It's much funnier and sure enough she ends up on the show and now she's like. So you're just casually, casually finding went, future superstars and right. gold Logie winners. 31, I went back to seven and I thought these guys are great. And <laughs> not that it was hard, you know, like anyone would have gone Carrie Bickmore. It was, just, it was out of two basically. You became a chooser. I became a chooser. Wow! So at that point, you've closed off at Revs. You haven't said you <laughs> Revs haven't. Was the end of it? <laughs> and you... The end of my social life. The end of my professional life. <laughs> there is somewhat of a time of death in two thousand and five. Revs front room. It seems to be. It's <laughs> a good place. Is it the best place? Really. But the but the wound could have been inflicted years earlier. This is what we're looking at. When you think about what might have been or what wasn't. Is it hard to think about? Are you, are you still angry? Are you still grieving? No, not at all. And, it, and like even at the time, things were annoying, like the, the comedy festival decision or the, the Dr. No at ABC. Temporary, kind of like some bloke putting his right-hand indicator on at the last minute of the lights, you know. <laughs> that is sort of annoyance where you, <laughs> you just yell out the window. And then tailgating till Christmas and fucking <laughs> beat his fucking windows in. No, no, it's temper. It's kind of temporary, and and so now I don't think back at all, and I just go, that's I. I wasn't in the right place, and this is where it comes to, if 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 mm. I can, mm. you know, the killer is me. I think in the end, it's just not where I was at. Sure, these these mad people were not giving me what I wanted, but at the same time I possibly wasn't able to articulate what I wanted or able to convince them, you know, I wasn't experienced enough. Or maybe there is some other sort of self-sabotage where, you know, I like anonymity. Mm. I'm not sure if I was ever meant to be in front of the camera. You know, that was the first thing I did when I was a child was, was watching The Sullivans, an old Australian TV show. 
And I went away and wrote a book in my room called The Silly Monsters, like a parody of that, about these family of monsters. And I, I made it into a book and stapled it together and gave it to the members of my family. And, you know, often what you do as a child is a vision of the future, I think. And so me writing that little story in this little parody is probably what I was really comfortable doing. Mm. So Brian Munich came along and it did kind of explode on a, in a small sense, in a local sense. And, mm. and so oh, here we are. Okay, I'm going to be... This is me on TV. And so I can't deny that there's some small sense of, of, of anxiety or nervousness about being – I would have gone through and done it, whatever. So there's some small sense of us being – I don't even like saying des- destined to be behind the scenes, destined just to be writers and not those people mm. because even now I like to think maybe because I still occasionally put myself in front of the camera and like it. Mm-hmm. Um but maybe there was some small sense that you know, I didn't like to recognise that I was saying I'm not ready for this. There's an element of timing there. And it kind of dovetails with a thought that I've had about Brian Munich, which is that it was possibly ahead of its time, hmm. that you guys and what you were doing and what you were selling, fish crotch at the ABC, <laughs> simply wasn't able to see how that would fit. Mm. in what TV was at, at that time yeah. in the year 2001. Yeah. yeah, Because something that sticks in my mind a lot, and I don't know if it does for you at all, but you mentioned that you guys went on to work at Rove. Mm. You and Ray were head writers at Rove, mm. which is where I got my start in doing things. You brought myself and Declan on in 2007. One evening somebody brought in... DVD, which was called Tim and Eric's Awesome Show. Yeah. They had a DVD from this new Adult Swim series and it was like, you got to look at this. And it was this off-the-wall kind of crazy, blackly surrealist, Mm. sketchy, parody-ish show. Right. And we were all watching going, this is amazing, this is fantastic. And I'm thinking – this is Brian Munich. This is what <laughs> you guys had been doing five years earlier. Mm. Now, I just wondered if that struck you at that time. And that, that was the shining example. But since then there have been a lot more offbeat comedy. Did that stuff ever make you feel like, God damn it, you know, <laughs> we, we could have ridden that wave. We were ahead of our time. Yeah. I'm trying to get you upset is what's <laughs> happening here. There was a little bit of that, Ray, and I've definitely talked about that. And others had too. Like the people have mentioned that maybe we are ahead of our time. I think we were. So to see Tim and Eric six years later or whatever doing what mm. they were doing. But they whatever they did, they did it well. Mm. And they had support and they had a team behind them and they'd, they sent their, their stuff to, to Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. A visionary and some guy's mm. going to go, these guys are fucking great. You know, they send this stuff to Bob Odenkirk. Mm. We had a meeting with uh, Dr. No at uh, the ABC with his fish. <laughs> Who knows? If we're in a different country, if we're in the States, if we're in the same position as Tim and Eric, would, you know, at the same time as they were, would we have kicked off? Don't know. So we are coming to the time now to actually identify the killer yeah. of... Brian Munich. I just want to go over quickly the the list of suspects oh, you can, that yes. we have. Oh, just, 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 established. Just, I, I, I know, but we we got to put this beyond a reasonable sure, doubt, sure. Chase. So we've got Strokey McCrotchfish. 
<laughs> at the so NBC. Chris Hayes, no, I don't Je- know Jeff a, Portman? Jeff Did Portman. Is that? he alive? He might be oh, dead. No, know. he died in 2019. There you oh. go. Andrew Freeman, the other We're guy. We're in the clear. Well. We've got a fairly serious accusation about the uh, Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Yes. Brain damage tech at Revs. <laughs> I apologise to that guy. Carrie Bickmore. How is Carrie a suspect? Uh, hey, <laughs> she was around. It's on the wall. She was late in the game. We've got your contention that it's a self-inflicted wound. You're, you're pretty committed to that at this stage. Right. Yep. Yeah. Do you want to kill Brian Munich right now? Oh, okay. Does it mean I actually can't come back and do Brian again if I kill him? Now? I don't know. I don't know what the rules are with this thing. But if you what, want to, what are these buttons? I don't know, they're just all sound effects that might represent some sort of symbolic. Like a fart? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, a fart is, you know, a lot of people fart as they go. Like that's... That's the body expelling I, their last. I can tell you, there's not a fart on oh. that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to my own button there, my own app, my fart app. The death of Brian Munich. Here we go. There he goes. He's gone. I think that'll do. <laughs> Farewell, Brian. Jason, thank you very much for joining us in the studios. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jason. And that was our chat with Jason Marion about the death of Brian Munich. Chris, thoughts? Uh, it is a genuine privilege to have been able to spend uh, a bit of time with Jason. He has, I'm not ashamed to say, has been a bit of a, a uh, authority figure. <laughs> authority figure? Father figure. Yeah. He's my dad, <laughs> is what I'm saying. He's my comedy dad. And to, just to get to spend a bit of time with my dad. It's so nice. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we, we don't have an out now. Like, you've taken my out away. So I don't know how to end these anymore. Since you, I can't Hayden, say keep on trucking anymore. But and yet you do. <laughs> Next time on Pitch Bleak. We get to our offices. It's two separate buildings with a car park in the middle. Two-story buildings. One of them is engulfed in flames. Jeez. Engulfed oh. in flames. Like a, a film sort of, like... Yeah, exactly to the point that we are, where is everybody in that uh, building? Shit.